I'm sure I'm not the only one, but I've uh, really enjoyed over the years um, Eamon's messages on Acts. It's taken a long time, I think longer than Paul's journeys themselves, I would have thought. Uh, um, but through those chapters, um, particularly obviously the, um, the middle to, to the later ones, a towering figure in that book is Paul. Changed from a persecutor of believers to a missionary, an evangelist, teacher, a prayer warrior, a pastor, an author and letter writer, just to name a few. It appears when you read um, what's recorded of uh, Paul's life that he seemed to live the life of 20 men. But how could he have done it all? Well, it's a product of prayer. It could not have happened without it. And you see, I was looking um, this morning at all the epistles, and it mentions, it mentions prayer, praying um, in every one of them. He prays for himself, and he also appeals to fellow Christians to pray for him. As I said, it's featured in all his letters. And particularly, just have a um, read, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 to 20. It says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all the perseverance and supplications for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to you that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly, as I ought to speak. And then if you turn on to Colossians, chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, Paul writes, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains. And then in um, two, uh, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, verses 25, he just uh, simply says, Brethren, pray for us. And then in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, the first couple of. Um, here we are. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. It says in verses 1 and 2, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly, be glorified just as it is with you, that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. We're going to look this evening um, in those uh, few verses that we've read from Romans is the relationship that Paul had with prayer. And quite simply from those verses, not just the ones from Romans, but the ones we've just read, it was a pattern of Paul's life. Indeed, it's a pattern of all Christians' life, or it should be, because the Lord Jesus Christ put great emphasis on prayer. He taught his disciples to pray. He'd go out to the mountains, he'd go out during the night, 
and pray. But those um, verses that we've read show two things about Paul. The first thing, when he, with him asking for people to pray for him, it was a mark of his humility. He didn't think that he'd arrived. He didn't think that somehow he was the boss, he was in charge, he knew it all. He realised that he needed prayer of other Christians. He needed the prayers of, his, of himself, but he needed the prayers of other Christians. That all of this would come to nothing without the prayer. It was a spiritual battle, and Paul knew that. So it was a mark of his humility throughout his, his, his life, his Christian life. The second thing that uh, this pattern of prayer in Paul's life shows that his dependence on God in prayer. It, it's true to say, isn't it, that, that prayer is the, the ultimate evidence of our dependence on God. We, we've covered it in some of the verses that we've read, but, but Paul would pray for deliverance, he'd pray for doors to be opened, he'd, be, he'd pray for acceptance, protection. We're going to look at that a bit later on. And it happened. God answered prayer. It happened when he prayed. Now, it's, it's obvious that, that prayer is, a, is, is an evidence of our dependence on God because when Paul was praying, he'd be either sitting down or kneeling or whatever posture he was taking, and he was praying to God. And God was making those things happen. He wasn't doing anything. He wasn't going out knocking on doors or forcing his way through. He was, just, he was just sitting there or kneeling there. So who does it? It was God's work. It's the evidence of Paul's ultimate dependence on his God. Now what we're going to uh, look at as we look at these um, four verses is that quite simply, four verses equals four divisions. Each verse has a division. And we're going to start, first of all, by looking from um, the verse 30. We're going to look at joining in Paul's mission by praying with him and for him. Verse 30. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you try, strive together with me in prayers to God for me. Well, Paul is appealing for prayer. It uses that word begging, and that means so much. If somebody is begging for something, if, if, um, if, if you see somebody when you go to school or you go to work tomorrow and is begging, you know that they're wanting money or they're wanting food. You know, if you were to give them the latest edition of... Um, cycling weekly. They wouldn't be interested in that, would they? What they want is what they're begging for, and it's for money or food. And this is Paul's attitude. He's appealing for prayer. He's begging. He's desperate. There's an element of desperation in prayer. He's urging them to pray. He's 
entreating them or, or beseeching them is a very good, strong word. And, and why is he doing that? Because Paul realises the essentialness of prayer. He realises that without it, his ministry will not be blessed. It's dependent on prayer. And that's why he's got the, he uses this word beg, this earnestness. Now, he begs for prayer, and he begs for them to pray for him on two, two bases, two, two reasons. You just see in verses 30. First of all, through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's appealing them to them to pray for him. First of all, through the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no higher level of appeal that he can make. Prayer was central to Christ's ministry, and it's essential for all Christians. It's, it's so essential for his followers. So the, and, and it also shows, really, that um, for people to properly pray for you, they must be believers, only believers. Only Christians can properly pray for you. I think, well, that's obvious, but I'm sure sometimes people who, who aren't believers said, you are oh, pray for you. Well, that's, that's very kind of them to say that. But they cannot effectively pray for them, as this verse shows, unless they belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. So he makes it on two bases. The first one is appealing to their faith, their having the Lord Jesus Christ as, as their Lord and Saviour. And the second one, in verse 30, it says, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit. And what Paul is specifically talking about here is the love that the Holy Spirit at salvation gives us for one for another. Just um, a bit earlier, we welcomed in... And um, our new members, and uh, they are in our family, a sign that they're in our family. And that's, that's through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, when we become Christians, he, he brings us in to the Lord Jesus' family and creates that love one for another. And as a result of becoming a Christian, we should love our brethren, we should love the gospel, we should love the church. And that's, that's the, um, the, the two bases, because we are Christians, we are obeying the Lord Jesus Christ, and because we've been given that love. And, and that's the, the appeal that Paul is saying. And when we ask other people to pray for us, we are doing that on exactly the same basis, that the Christians and that the, Lord, uh, the, the Holy Spirit has given them has given us love for them and them a love for us. And what, what a foundation, what a basis for prayer that is. So there's no a higher appeal that Paul is saying here than the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no deeper love than the love the Holy Spirit gives us. So Paul is appealing for prayer and he's appealing on those two bases. And then he goes on. In, in that verse, to explain how we should pray. There's not many verses here that we're looking at tonight, but they are full of, uh, the more I looked at them, 
Each, almost every word um, deserves comment. So how should we pray? Well, it says that you should strive together. Now, striving is, is something that is very intense. It's not casual. Not saying that, oh, you know, if you've got a spare minute, um, ro- ro- no Roman Christians, you know, just, you know, just remember me in prayer. It's not that casualness. He's asking them to agonise, to um, have an intensity of focus. A bit like in Genesis 22, of, uh, uh, Jacob's wrestling with God. That this striving that he's talking about means that our prayers should be marked by perseverance. They should be marked by endurance. And they should also be marked with persistence. It's that agonising with, with prayer. And that was a, a, a real challenge uh, to myself as I was reading that. So not only should we pray in um, striving, it goes on to say that, um, that we should strive together with me in prayers to God for me. So this isn't just necessarily asking individual Christians, or he is asking individual Christians to, to strive in prayer, but he's also addressing this to groups of saints, a group of saints, to the church. And this shows us, doesn't it, the, the vital importance of attending the prayer meeting. And it is a real um, reminder of how important it is to meet together. We have the prayer meeting. We have the meetings on, on Monday and, and Friday mornings. We have um, these unofficial ones, uh, not unofficial ones, but ones more um, ad hoc. There's been one um, last night of the ladies praying specifically for, for the, the children that they'll be, um, become Christians. Because it's, it's not just addressed to individuals, but for groups of Christians to get together and pray. So how should we pray? We should agonise, pray as individuals, or we should pray as, as groups. And then it says that you strive together with me in, with me. You can strive with somebody or with a work in the church without actually being there. I mean, he was writing to people who were miles away and was asking them to join in with prayers for him. That's why we pray for uh, particular missionaries, uh, you know, hundreds, thousands of miles away. That's why, if you've not even put your name, not put your name down, say, for the Holiday Bible Club, you can pray for, for that work. You can, you can be there. That not be, sorry, what I mean to say is not being, actually doing the work or being there is no barrier to you praying for that work or praying for that person. You can strive with me from a distance. As I said, you can pray for missionaries, HBC, visitation, even if you are not directly involved in that work. So, he was asking people to pray for him, to strive in prayer, either as groups 
uh, are individuals, and even, you know, even though they're miles away, they can join in that ministry with Paul. Then it goes on to say, you strive together with me in prayers to God. We must remember that um, the Lord Jesus has taught us that we pray to God through Jesus. Remember, our Father who art in heaven. So we pray to God with the assistance of the Holy Spirit and we pray through the Lord Jesus Christ. And lastly, it says, for me. And you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. It is spiritual to ask other Christians to pray for you. Um, Let me just rephrase that, really. It is spiritual to ask other Christians to pray for you, for your spiritual health and your spiritual walk. We we don't always find it difficult to get them to to pray if we've we're not feeling well or we you know something's happened. Some disasters befallen us. We do find it difficult to ask people to pray for us that we're going through struggles or temptations or coldness of heart, whatever the spiritual issue is. I was I was thrilled, and I don't mind saying this from the front. A few weeks ago, one of the young women in the church did exactly that. And um, I was so surprised because it is so rare. She, she said, can you pray for me? Because I am finding the Christian life a struggle at the moment. And you know, how often is that said? And what was even more thrilling was two or three weeks later, she came back. Well, I didn't come back. She was always at the prayer meeting. She came at the prayer meeting and she thanked people for praying for her because she had been helped by it in her spiritual walk, in her walk with Christ. And I thought that was great. And how often, uh, and I speak for myself as much as for the people, for you I'm speaking to this evening, do, do we struggle in our Christian lives? A temptation that we just seem, don't seem to be able to, through the power of the Holy Spirit, overcome? Or don't seem to even have that desire that we, we used to have. And how much we just flounder when we could ask people to pray for our spiritual condition and our spiritual self. It's not, I'm going to repeat it again, it's not something to be ashamed of. It's the key to our salvation, the growth and our use in God's service. And perhaps the next time that people do share that, we become more used to it. And we see, as Paul shows here, the, 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 the power of it in doing it and how vital it is. If we really have that love of the Holy Spirit for one another, we want each other to grow, don't we? So that's the, the first um, division. Let's look at the, the next one. Uh, the second, it's, it's, and it's the next verse. Now, what Paul is doing here is um, he's praying specifically for his safety and service. And perhaps the first thing that, 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 that came to, to my mind is that we should be specific in our prayers. 
um, it, it's it's probably and not that the that, that God would 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 be unhappy with it, but you know when when you've heard sometimes people just praying for the lost or for the missionaries, it's not to to, to demean that, but to to be more specific in our prayers, as Paul is here, and as we will see. Or even when we're praying particularly for, for people, that we have a specific aim. We're praying, for instance, our unconverted children, that we have a particular aim, that, for instance, maybe that, that they'll be uh, protected against some of the, the temptations and struggles that they might meet at school. So it's, Paul is really saying that we should be specific in our prayers. Now, what are his two aims in this verse? Well, what, what are his, his, his two particular things he wants, specific things he wants to be prayed for? Well, the first one is that, that I may be delivered from those who in Judea who do not believe. So that's the first one. In other words, he wants, he's praying to be rescued from the opposition from Jewish unbelievers. And they were a real threat. And again, um, as you go through Acts, as, as Amon had taken us through Acts, um, he went through various places, Antioch, Ephesus, Iconium, Corinth, Thessalonica. And as soon as he sets foot in the place, there's usually uproar, isn't there? You know, it goes into a synagogue. And he meets opposition from non-Christian Jews. We haven't got time to, to read them. But for instance, in Antioch, um, in Acts 13.45, you, you, you see that. And then in Iconium, in the next chapter, in verse 19. And then in chapter 18, you see it at Corinth. I've just picked out three there, verses 6 and 12. And the important thing is that God answered those prayers. You know, if you read those verses, God did open doors gave him an opportunity to speak to people, and he kept him safe. A few hair-raising events that happened, but he kept them safe. So God is not just a God, um, a, a prayer-hearing God. He's a prayer-answering God. So the first thing that he specifically prayed for was for safety. And then the second one is that he prayed for a good reception from the Jewish Christians. So, again, it's a Jewish, but these were the Jewish Christians, those who had become Christians. He was praying that his service would be acceptable. Now, Paul is, uh, before he goes to Rome, is taking money to the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem before he goes to Rome, as I said. And he's praying that they'll accept him and the gift. Um, as, as, as we know, uh, that Jewish Christians had been a bit suspicious of Paul in the past. And he, he was praying that they'd fully accept it, they wouldn't think there were some sort of strings attached, um, and that they would fully accept him. And if we turn, we turn to this, these verses, to Acts 24. Acts 24, uh, verses 17 and 18. Now, after many years, I came to bring alms and offerings to my nation, and in the midst of which some Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with a mob, mob nor with a tumult. So that prayer as well was answered. 
um, in, in those verses. So Paul prayed specifically the two aims. First of all, being rescued, delivered, kept safe from unbelievers because there was terrible threats against him. And also that he would be fully accepted by believers. So that's the, um, the, the second one. We're now going to move on to uh, verse 32. And I've given this as sort of the heading that Paul would be able to return to them encouraged and refreshed by their fellowship. Now, it says, doesn't it, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. Paul fully understands that he can only get to Rome if it is God's will. Um, and he, he understands that, that there's the sovereignty of God, and he asks for God that he will, um, he will get to Rome and that he will um, be refreshed together with them. Now, this third prayer was also answered. We thought about the deliverance and the acceptance, those prayers being answered. But this prayer was also answered. But this prayer was answered in a different way than he wanted or certainly expected. I'm sure Paul envisaged, as he'd gone into all those other places, that he'd go to Rome and he'd be able to preach in the open spaces, open places, in the markets. But he went to Rome. But he went to Rome as a prisoner. As I said, God is a prayer hearing and prayer answering God. But we've learned from this, but it's not always in the way we want or expect to happen. What did Paul say? Uh, some of the versions say that, um, that it may be rested, or it says here, refreshed. Paul wanted rest. He lived the life, as we said, right at the very beginning. Perhaps almost like 20 men. And he lived life in the fast lane, to use that uh, colloquialism. And he, he needed rest. And God knew he needed rest. But God answered that prayer, yes, by giving him rest. But it wasn't how he thought. It was house arrest for two years. He got rest in a, being uh, under house arrest. And if you look back to, sorry to say that before, Acts 28, verses 30 and 31, right at the, the last two verses, says, Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God, teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ, with all confidence, no one forbidding him. Perhaps he wasn't able to go out to people, but people were coming to him. And they were being converted. And not only that, the church coming to him in, at that time, and how God also arrested, um, answered his prayer, is that he wrote the, the letters during that period to the Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemons, and how blessed Christians over the centuries have been with that. So, Paul's prayer was answered, but answered in a, a way that he, he didn't expect. And we must bring our requests to God. We must pray to God in that urgency, that, uh, that striving that we've spoken about, 
and we should just trust God to answer them in the way he sees fit because God knows best. It made me think, actually, um, just as an example of that, I wonder what the Christians prayed for before, when it was Saul, before he became a Christian and he was going round, herding them up, putting them in prison, having them killed. I wonder what they prayed for. I wonder if they perhaps prayed that he might meet a sticky end and he might die. I don't think many of them would have believed that God would have converted him and that he would have become a Christian. But they prayed for it, but God answered them. But God answered them for many of them in a way he probably, they probably wasn't expecting. They perhaps have even doubted that such a man would have been converted, but we know, we know more than that. And Paul certainly did. So let's move on then to the final verse to, um, this chapter. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. I've called this affirmation. Couldn't think what else to call it. Um, but it talks about the God of peace. Now when we are saved, let's be uh, distinguished here. When we become Christians and we're justified, we have objective peace with God. We're justified through Christ's death on the cross. But Paul's not talking about that peace specifically here. He's talking about a subjective peace that for Christians, that they will have the reality of that peace in their heart. Now, of course, we need to have that objective peace. We cannot have that subjective peace unless we have are saved and we're justified, unless we've had that objective peace. But the peace that he's talking about here is not that you better put your feet up and there's not going to be any problems. Jesus said that all believers will have tribulations. Peace isn't the absence of tribulation. We will all experience tribulations at times. What it is, is that Paul is speaking about here, is that presence of an inner calm through the, whatever the storms are of life, that are affecting you at the time, but there'll be this inner calm. Let's just turn to these very well-known verses in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 to 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving... Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's the, the peace that, he's, that, that Paul is, is, is praying um, for, for them here, that the God of peace be with you all. And then he finishes with amen. Now, amen is a, is a firm a clear affirming or a testing of, of the facts of what is presented with them um, in this letter up, up to now. He's basically saying, I believe it to be true with all my heart. This is so. And that's what, when we say amen, is what we should mean, what we mean. Now, we can say it in our heart silently and 
there's, there's nothing wrong in that. You, you can also say it audibly. Um, some, some churches do it quite a lot. I remember going to speak at a church who were very keen to audibly say amen. They said it about three times during the notices. Um, but it's sometimes very encouraging when somebody says amen when you're preaching. Um, now these verses show that, um, that he finishes with the God of peace be with you all. Amen. And he's really sort of confirming, I believe it to be true with all my heart. And that's how he, f- he, f- he finishes those, um, those verses um, this evening. But as we consider those verses, just to, to finish, it shows that prayer is a mighty force. We've shown it not just in the way that Paul describes it, but from Paul's experience of prayers for himself and especially here, prayers from other believers. As I've said two or three times this evening, God is a prayer hearing and answering God. Not always in the way we ask or expect because God knows best. And he may answer it, he'll often answer it in a better way than we could have ever expected. So as we finish that we should be remembered to be urgent and persistent in our prayer, to strive in prayer, and that our understanding, our dependence on prayer is our dependence on God, that we should be more like Paul, and especially, as Paul would totally agree, more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.